When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Palmerbet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight-up screamer! Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. Thorpe is coming in. Golden away. Oh, it's Palmerbet. Oh, it's the birth of a legend. 458 is the total, out of which Bradman has made 309 not out. It's a world's record. Ball in Test cricket in England for Shane Warne. And he's done it. He started off with the most beautiful delivery. To this is your sporting life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Here's your host, Sam Edmund. Everybody and welcome to the show. As always, we're here for our friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Today, we're joined by a man who has commonly been referred to as the best lead-out man in world cycling. Bathurst-born Mark Renshaw was a world champion and Commonwealth Games gold medalist on the track before enjoying a successful 15-year career on the road. And if Mark Cavendish is the Manx missile, then Renshaw was the rocket launcher, the trusted wheel who selflessly made so much of it possible. Mark Renshaw, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on. Hey, how... How can we not start with the man who has taken this year's Tour de France by storm, a Lazarus-style comeback? Your old mate, Mark Cavendish, has won three stages of this year's race. It has been the story of the fortnight so far, would you agree? Yeah, for sure. He's uh, he's definitely been the big story of the Tour de France in this first 10 days, uh, 11 days now. He uh, Look, it's a comeback of sorts because he had a couple of lean years there for a little while. Uh, where, you know, he had some illness, he wasn't in great teams, he, you know, there's just a few things he had to work on to get back to his, you know, top shape. And I think his return to um, to Koenig Quickstep has really yeah, lifted his morale and, you know, having that kind of team at his, uh, at his seconds has really helped and uh, he's in a good place both physically and mentally. Yeah, and, and Cav yeah. himself, I guess, has admitted that he thought he was done at various times. Sam Bennett couldn't be there due to injury. Obviously, Cav's 36. He's got the, the world champion, Julian Alaphilippe, leading him out on some stages. The planets have just aligned, but what does it say about him and his drive, Mark? They certainly have aligned, as you mentioned. They uh, It's all lined up really well for him and Look, his character, he's a, he's a strong-willed, he's a leader, uh, and that's the reason why he's won 33 stages in the Tour de France, is because he can unite a team better than anyone. Uh, and he seems to have an aura around him where uh, he lifts riders. So he's got the strongest team in the race for the, the sprint lead-out uh, stages. He, as you mentioned, he's got the world champ there. He's got so many good riders who are, who are going to commit to him 110%. And now there's, 
you know, we're at 33 stage wins. They all want to see him get this um, mm. Eddie Merckx record. So he's got one to go. And with that inside, they're going to give uh, everything every day for the auction. Yeah, he's, to, uh, to have a bunch Yeah, he's so combative, isn't he? On the road and off sometimes. He's emotional, he's passionate. Do you keep in touch with him? Just still the odd message here and there, Mark? Oh, look, during the tour at the moment, uh, I don't bother him too much. But generally, we chat every now and then. Um, I did chat to him just before he won his first stage uh, this year. So that was pretty good. It was a finish where we last rode together. We won back in, I think it was 2015. So... It was good to touch base with him before his winning streak. Um, I'll wait now till he's till he's done with the tour, and then I'll I'll get back in contact with him because I can imagine his phone's catching on fire at the moment. <laughs> indeed, indeed. And someone like you, Mark, who has obviously been there and done it for so long, do you find yourself now just you know analysing it all at home on the couch and and perhaps shaking your head at how much the sport has changed? I mean, the next generation just come in. And they just go bang now. There's seemingly no apprenticeship. The finals are dangerous, seemingly more than ever. It's so fast. And the fight for position is just relentless. Yeah, look, it, it has changed. Definitely has been a shift to a younger rider where they pick a little bit early in their career um, compared to when I turned professional. But the reality is the racing hasn't changed. Um, the age of the riders have. Uh, so if we look at the finishes now compared to when I was in my prime, it's still just as dangerous. They still have the same information, if not more information now with, you know, satellite images and, and GPX files and mapping. So they've got more resources at their fingertips than what we had. Um, hence the reason that speeds are faster because they now know where and when they can push to the limit. So watching it is, it's, I, look, being honest, it's hard sometimes because those good moments, um, they give you a, a huge lift. So to watch that, it does hurt a little bit. Um, you mentioned analysing, you know, the race, and I'm <laughs> I'm doing that quite a lot at the moment, especially mm. with Cav winning. I I'm analysing all these sprint finishes and uploading videos to uh, to Instagram and YouTube and giving my uh, thoughts on the finishes, which is it's pretty good. I've I've even had some feedback from some of the other riders in the race, like. Um, a young guy, Philipson, to help us in Phoenix. He did send me a message. It is great. Keep the analysation coming because it, it helps us improve. So <laughs> it's good to, uh, to throw that out there and still be a part of it. No, that's fantastic. No, and, that's fantastic. and, I mean, you, you, you were – can you imagine, though, in your time, like it doesn't matter now seemingly the age of the rider, the experience of the rider, whether they're GC, whether they're for the stage, whether they're a sprinter, they're willing to put their nose – Anywhere. And, I mean, you came in when guys like the Italian Mario Cipollini, you know, the so-called Lion King, he was an enormous presence. I mean, I can't imagine you were willing to engage in too much argy-bargy with guys like that back in the day. No, there's definitely been a shift in uh, in that sense in cycling. As I mentioned, younger riders coming in, and there used to be a little bit, a little bit of a period where you needed to earn your respect in the bunch, uh, earn your stripes, you know, your... You had to kick around down the back for a year or two and find your place. But now we've got, you know, young sprinters coming straight up out of the amateur ranks into professionals uh, and winning races. So that's not to say that they don't have respect. It's just changed now where you need to peak earlier. And, and for that reason, teams are hiring younger riders and they're expecting results from them straight away as soon as they turn professional. 
So, Mark, you rode the tour 10 times up until your retirement a couple of years ago. 17 grand tours in total, a stack of classics. We'll get to all that. But you're back home in Bathurst, and like all of us, I imagine it's been an uncertain time over the last 18 months or so, I'd imagine. It definitely has. Uh, we are certainly very lucky back in Bathurst. Um, so, regional New South Wales, it's only in the last two weeks uh, that we've actually had any kind of restrictions or... or you know, rules put down on us with now we must wear a mask when we're in retail businesses and, you know, these kind of things. So for the first time since COVID, you know, arrived, it's it's made a bit of an impact up in Bathurst. And last year was, you know, crazy times. Um, moving, I moved into a retail business and retail space, so there's a lot of things changing. Um, and COVID, yeah, definitely, uh, you know, changed the world we're living in since I retired from Europe and, and moved back to Bathurst. And as you say, you opened up a shop, Renshaw's Pedal Project. Now, bike sales have gone just through the roof, haven't they, due to COVID? They have indeed. They they shot up uh, <laughs> huge amounts. And so it was a bit of an initiation of fire for me coming into, you know, a cycling retail business. Um, no experience at all in business, just stepped into it. And <laughs> I kind of just used some of uh, the processes I used as a professional cyclist in business and it's paid dividends so far um being aggressive and on the attack as you say in a cycling sense so it's it's gone well um but yeah like cycling i've got a great team uh in there uh, a team of workers that all you know pull for a goal and without them it'd be very difficult and you've been a part of the sbs cycling coverage too haven't you from time to time how have you found the the you know the other side of the barriers so to speak yeah, it's it's been really interesting. I've um, I've done a little bit of work with SBS, and this year, honestly, it's yeah, a little bit heartbreaking because I was planning to go down to Sydney for the first week of the tour with SBS, and right at that moment, um, Sydney went into lockdown, and you know, and the bosses at SBS said that's it, we're not going to take any more visitors in. Um, so Keenan and McEwen and uh, O'Donnell, Bridie, they were already in there, locked in there, uh, in their places. So I missed that boat, which is a shame, and. Uh, for that reason, I'm I've headed down, you know, the stage analyst role on Instagram and YouTube, and try and do it my own way, uh, just to, you know, keep a firm grip inside the peloton and, and an eye on what's happening. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Next, we'll go back to the beginning with the former professional cyclist Mark Renshaw. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. It's great to have your company on This Is Your Sporting Life, made possible by Tobin Brothers Funeral, celebrating lives. We're with former Olympic track, world tour road cyclist Mark Renshaw. Mark, you're born and raised in Bathurst. What was childhood like as a little fella? Uh, pretty good in Bathurst, I must admit. It was um, it was great. I loved living in a regional town. Uh, you know, a small, small little town, 30,000, 40,000 people was, was great growing up. You know, so many places to ride my bike. Mum and Dad, you know, always made sure that I had a bike, which was great. Although, played a few other sports, um, but eventually yeah, turned my turned my eye towards cycling and uh, and started in that direction. When did your relationship with the bike first start? Uh, my first racing was 
I was approximately 10 years old. Uh, it was on the local flat track. Um, look, my first lap, one lap race was on a, a BMX bike. <laughs> a one lap dash is an under 11. So, uh, you know, that was kind of where it all started. And from there, it just, it just grew uh, on me um, step by step until we're, you know, reaching the professionals. So it all started with a one lap race on the on a flat tracking back. And you played a heap of sports as a kid, as you alluded to, didn't you? You played a bit of um, uh, AFL as well, did you or not? Or a bit of uh, soccer? What, what oh, else? Oh, no. No, I was uh, a little bit of hockey, um, to be honest. That was probably the only other thing that I was, I was pretty handy at. Right. Um, so once I, once I realised I was a bit better bike rider, as you do as a 10-year-old, you, <laughs> as much as you like it, I just found that the bike gave me that little bit of freedom and... Uh, was a really good time I focused on. Uh, so stuck with that. So there at the Bathurst Cycling Club, Mark, when did you realise that, yeah, I guess you had a natural ability or, or the physio- physiology at least to cut the mustard and perhaps take it a bit further? Yeah, it, it took a little while. Um, look, even as a 15-year-old or a 16-year-old, I wasn't... Um, I didn't set the world on fire. I was, I was a good level rider in Australia. It wasn't until under-17s um, in my second year, so nearly 17 years old, that I started to actually win some races. Uh, so it took a little while to become a winner. Uh, it was always seconds and thirds, and then once I went into the next division, under-19s, um, as, as a 17- and 18-year-old, I kind of became pretty dominant, especially in track cycling, and not winning one type of event, winning uh, anything from endurance to sprint side uh, on the track. So versatile in that sense that I could kind of do anything on the track. Yeah, I think you went to Italy yeah. with the AIS, I think you went to Mexico, Russia, China, so you're well-travelled at, at a young age, you know, principally on the track at that point, and wasn't there a moment with the AIS that you were told you might not make it? So, how did you actually get your big break on the road? Because it came only about a year after that, didn't it? Yeah, as you mentioned, I travelled a lot when I was young, so, you know, as, as an 18, 19-year-old and you head off to Mexico City and you're off to Russia and, uh, you know, everywhere, Malaysia, kind of all around the world, um, it would have certainly been very stressful for mum and dad because uh, I can't imagine my son in 10 years' time going off to these places without me. So looking back, it was, um, yeah, you kind of grow up really fast as a cyclist. And as you, as you mentioned, I moved to Italy for take on the road so I'd made the switch from from track to road and understandably that's where you can make a living uh, make some income from cycling the track side of things it's great to to go to the Olympics and you represent Australia do these things but if you want to make a living it has to be on the road uh, and in a professional team and that happens in Europe so yeah first year moved to Italy um, started racing in the AIS with their program and being honest, I didn't have a sensational year, didn't win too many races. Uh, and then, yeah, when someone kind of tells you that, like, we don't think you'll make it too much, uh, maybe look for some other options. And that's when I went to France. Uh, I was helped by Brad McGee, um, another an ex-rider from New South Wales, and he helped me get into a team in Dijon. Uh, and from there, I kind of really, you know, hit hit the straps and started winning races and, and then some interest came from 
It's amazing, isn't it? You moved to Dijon, as you said, and McGee had somehow got a French company, FDJ, which a lot of listeners might know this morning, to, to sponsor the development squad at, at the New South Wales Institute of Sport. So that opened the door. So you join an amateur team, Mark, SCO Dijon. You know zero French, probably bonjour, and that's about it. The resilience is harnessed pretty quickly here, I'd imagine. It's either that or you pack up and go home. Yeah, you hit it on the head pretty quick there. I, I turned up, I knew bonjour, and that was it. Um, <laughs> landed in Paris and really had no idea where I was going. Somehow got picked up by somebody and came back to um, yeah, back to Dijon. And then it was yeah, a steep learning curve. Uh, took me a year or so to get a really good hold on French. Uh, and then by the end, you know, I could speak that well and you can have a dialogue with uh, your teammates and understand what's happening in the race uh, yeah, through the race radio with French. So, yeah, bit steep learning curve. Amazing. And 18 years later, you're still there, and I imagine your French is pretty good now. Hey, you, you signed on as a, a stagiaire, a traineeship there, if, if you will, and then you joined the senior FDJ squad in 2004. And a lot of other big Aussie contingent there, wasn't there, Mark? You mentioned Brad McGee, obviously, but one of your teammates was a green jersey winner, the Banala Bullet, Baden Cook. Matt Wilson was there as well. Was that when you started, I guess, to learn the art of the lead out? It was definitely, uh, you know, a great time being in that team. As you mentioned, those riders there, um, you know, McGee, Cook, Wilson. We also had some of, you know, some other teammates that I was, I rode with a lot during my career, Bernard Eisel. Uh, Philip Gilbert. So all these guys are in the team, and it was just uh, it was some awesome years in those teams, uh, and really learned a lot, picked up the you know the craft and the skill of, of racing. Um, the lead out as such probably didn't come for a year or two after that. Mm. That's when I kind of refocused because as a young rider, you try to win as much as you can because that's going to get you noticed. Um, I realised I wasn't going to be that winner. Uh, and when once you realise that, you have, you have to turn your your view to what you're going to be good at because in, pro, in professional cycling you have to be the best at something. Um, I didn't have a you know a big engine for pulling on the front for, for miles and miles, so found lead out, and that was something I was really good at. Yeah, it's a critical moment, isn't it? So about finding, I guess, your niche in this game. I mean, was there a moment or? Was there a moment where the penny might have dropped that, okay, you weren't going to be one of the world's top sprinters and fighting for the win, but that you were going to be best suited to the role that you embraced in the end? Uh, yeah, look, the lead outside of things, I I really enjoyed. Um, I enjoyed helping other riders win. It would be nice to have more victories to my name myself, but a lot of people that know cycling understand that it's a team sport. Um so, yeah, looking back, I I, I only had 16-odd wins to my name, but I probably helped uh, in hundreds of victories. So that's what, that's what means a lot to me. You're with This Is Your Sporting Life, brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. You can find them at tobinbrothers.com.au. Well, Mark Renshaw will take us inside the peloton after this break. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. 
Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Sporting Life. We're chatting with one of Australia's most admired professional cyclists, Mark Renshaw. Mark, the art of the lead-out then. So what makes a successful lead-out rider in your mind? Look, it has to, you have to be a rider if you want to be the best in, in this, um, I suppose, it's a pretty unique role. Uh, you have to be pretty selfless um, because your role is basically to make your teammate win. So, And a lot of the time, it's kind of on a platter right in front of you, that, that victory and the finish line's right there. <laughs> and so many times people said to me, why don't you just, you know, why don't you win yourself? So, you know, it's so many times the, the victory was in front of you. Uh, and I, I gave it to my teammates. So you have to be able to really play a, a team role. Um, so mentally, you know, that's a, that's a big part of it. And then physically, uh, which is also a huge part of leading out, is you have to be uh, good enough to win. So you've got to be a great sprinter. Uh, you have to be able to read the race because that's super important. The, the sprinter who's following you relies on you to make the decisions when and where to go because... You know, under that one kilometre to go banner, uh, it's going very fast and there's not much time to fix the problem if something does go wrong. So, uh, so for example, Mark Cavendish, you know, we had a really good relationship. He would just leave it all in my court. So I'd make all the decisions when and where we go, you know, picking sides, picking lines. Uh, so he lumped all that pressure on me. So the other side of it, you have to be able to handle a lot of pressure. And uh, when they don't win, it always falls back on the on the <laughs> next guy who didn't set the victory up. And, you know, for that case, it was often me. Um, and, yeah, being able to handle that pressure and having the nous on when and where to go is, is really important. So, you know, all those things combined is what makes a great lead out rider. It's so fascinating, isn't it, the chemistry? Because he defers to you, but then, as you say, you're almost the first one to be blamed when it doesn't go well. But fortunately, you, you had so many great times. But I imagine a few Barneys as well. Frustrations and, and emotions are high after stages or one-day races. You know, a few helmets have been flung uh, around from time to time. The caffeine gels in the system are on overload. So everyone's pumped up. Yeah, exactly. You, uh, you hit it on the head there. After a race, there's a lot of emotions. Um, when you win, it's all good. Uh, but when you don't win, yeah, there's <laughs> certainly a different, a different feeling amongst riders. And uh, we did have a lot of success, but we did have some moments that didn't go to, to plan. Um, look, they were, they were few and far between, you know, thank God. But uh, those, those moments definitely, you know, help make you stronger. Uh, and I'm just lucky that um, I was always part of good teams, so I always had great riders in front of me. One of them was Tor Hushoff. You joined Credit Agricole from 06 to 08. You won rave reviews there. And then you joined Cav, Mark Cavendish at Team Columbia High Road, which would obviously become HTC High Road, of course. Now, did you two hit it off immediately, Mark? Because I think the first race was in California and stage one might not have gone according to plan. Yeah, look, it's, um, it doesn't always go to plan in the first races. And uh, I think, yeah, that first race with Cavendish, um, I'm, not, I'm not sure if you're referring to him or, or who shot there, but um, our first race with Cavendish, it didn't go to plan at all. <laughs> so when your first race doesn't go to plan, you, you quickly got to sit down and, you know, reaffirm and reassess and assure the sprinter that it, it's going to go well, but we might need a few runs at it to get it to get right um, and in the end yeah it did but yeah stressful times in the start yeah I was referring to Cav but then you won the next day didn't you 
Yeah, we did. We, we bounced back pretty well there. Um, we, we got the victory pretty soon after. And uh, look, he wasn't angry because you don't get angry in the first ride that you do together. Mm. But um, there's definitely, a, you know, there's a moment there where you think, God, oh, I have to make sure this runs well because um, it's going to be a long two years riding together if it's going to start on the wrong foot. So your role, the lead out physically then, Mark, you touched on it earlier. Is it just a, a lactate explosion in, in the final? Is it one minute, two minutes, full whack, uh, red lining, and then you're done? Well, looking at the physical side of leading out, you have to be able to first make it to the finish every day, uh, to the sprint finish. So, you know, already that requires you to be a, you know, a good athlete. Uh, once you get deep into the final, um, it is, you know, buffering lactate because uh, you are working on that, you know, the sprint side of uh, cycling. So not the endurance side where you're climbing a mountain, you know, at your threshold. This is really about going over your threshold, uh, you know, producing a lot of lactate, buffering that, and then being able to start the sprint. When everybody else is, you know, at their limit, that's when you have to start. So. I was lucky I had a good background in um, the one kilometre time trial on the track and that's really one of the most horrible events in cycling because that last 200 metres of one kilometre is just, you know, it's absolutely horrible. It's, it's like the 800 metre sprint uh, for running. It's, it really comes back to kill you in the end of the effort uh, and it was something I did really well so I could always go that little bit deeper in the final. Um, so that's probably what made the difference with, with me in the leader. And there's obviously only so much road, isn't there? And everyone's fighting for the same bit of it at high speeds. And I think you would often tell Cav from time to time, wouldn't you, you have to make it to the finish to win. Like, there's no point us trying to get us both through it, at, at, I guess, a hole that's not there. Would you often say that to him? Because there's so many moments where you had to be willing to put yourself in a position where you're calculating all the time. Yes, no, that's exactly right. Um, yeah, <laughs> One thing I did always say was that it's no good if we can't get to the finish together. So, you know, often you, often for me it would be a gap that I could go through because the pelotons, it's like a washing machine of riders. It's constantly changing. Uh, and really why I'm, I'm leading him out, I always have to think, what's his position like? Does he need to break? Does he need to move? Uh, so always thinking for him as well as myself. So often there's moments where, you know, there, everyone is trying to move up. The director sports is telling everybody you need to be in the front now. Uh, move. So you've, you, you've got to make sure that you can move together. Otherwise, it's, it's no point. And if you can't make it to the finish together, uh, there's no way you can win a race. So, you know, it's, sometimes it's better to take two steps back uh, and just wait a little bit longer before you make those moves. And what was generally the plan with Cav, Mark? Did you know exactly when to drop him off? Did he just say, you know, go as hard for as long as you can, or did you know exactly when to swing off and let him do his thing? Oh, look, in professional cycling, it's pretty, um, like, we have pretty in-depth meetings before the race where you plan a lot, but there's so many variabilities in racing that uh, not always does it go to the exact plan. Uh, in the best years of my career, we always had a, a plan of who would go where and what would happen. Uh, and a lot of the time, it, it played out how we expected, which made a huge difference. Um, but, yeah, you've got to be able to think on the go and, and, and make decisions on the fly because uh, very often uh, things change. So 
we were pretty good at that. But he left it majority up to me to make the decisions on, on when and how to, uh, to do the race. And just on the preparation, isn't it? It is just amazing what they can do now with software like VeloViewer and there's Google Maps, Street View, Wind and Weather Forecasting. There's an app for everything. But you wouldn't have necessarily experienced too much of that at the start of your career. And, and I wouldn't say you sort of had a Melways with you to, to plot for the stage, but you would have witnessed a big change in this space during your career, wouldn't you? Absolutely huge, huge. So those apps that you just mentioned, uh, they're a stock standard uh, app on every rider's phone. Every day they'd be checking these things. Uh, but if we look back even to 2009, uh, we were one of the first teams that was using uh, Google Street Images or Maps to um, to look at corners, research you know what the roads look like, the road surface, the, the corner, the bend, you know, the buildings. Where, where are we going to sprint to and from? Looking for landmarks to use as, as pointers. So back in 2009, this was like groundbreaking uh, stuff. So, you know, here in, in 2021, it's stock standard. So it's, it's a fair while ago now. But if we even cast our mind further back to when I turned professional in 2004, we didn't have any of this, uh, any of this data or insight into uh, into the final. Mark, that chemistry that would become your trademark that you form with Cav, the synergy and understanding that you're able to form, because as you say, you can't plan for absolutely everything. How important is that trust when you're potentially taking your sprinter into dangerous areas? And are you surprised now in the modern day that we don't see, I guess, that same sprint train necessarily from one race to the next? It seems to change a bit. It does. It changes a lot. Um, it's probably down to the teams and the, and the structure of the teams and, and the riders. Uh, what we've seen is that there's a lot of points on offer for the general classification of riding uh, races, but not so much the sprinting and stage wins. And, and ultimately, teams have to have their classification to stay you know, in that top ranking and, and keep their sponsors. So it's a fine line um, between having sprinters and, and GC riders because every team wants to win. So it's great to, you know, have all these lead-out riders and these guys to help win stages. But ultimately, you have to be able to win the GC. So you really kind of split riders between different roles and, and make sure that you've got all the bases covered. We're talking to Mark Renshaw, and this is your Sporting Life. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. We'll be back to talk Tour de France ups and downs with Mark after this. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Sporting Life. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Mark Renshaw is our guest today. So, Mark, you've ridden the Alps, the Pyrenees, all the big climbs at the Giro d'Italia and the Vuelta. For the speed freaks listening this morning, what's the maximum speed you've ever reached on two wheels? I look, I've had speeds up above, you know, 114, 115 kilometres an hour. Um, but these are on, you know, this was in the Swiss... Out of the Swiss mountains, the Alps there, and you know the roads over there are very different. But in saying that, 115 on a bike is very fast, um, and you combine that with you know a lot of riders around you. At that point, I probably had about you know 100 odd riders all around me. Um, you know, one thing goes wrong, and it's it's going to go pear shaped real quick. Uh, but you don't seem to think of that when you're in the race, and you know you've got that little bit of 
foam strapped onto your head and you're in your lycra, you just don't think about those things. So <laughs> fast speed, but, uh, you know, it's, it's certainly uh, living on the edge a little bit. How did you go on the injury front? I had a, I had my fair share. I wouldn't say I was um, blessed and had, you know, a clean run through my career. I had a couple of big ones. Um, but looking back, really lucky, avoided anything that was, you know, quite serious. Um, you know, broken pelvis, broken collarbones, ankles, you know, missing teeth, things like this. But uh, sounds bad to the normal person. But um, I know a lot of riders who ended their career with, with single crashes and, and not even big crashes, just, you know, often the slower ones are the more dangerous. Missing teeth doesn't sound like too much fun. I-, I wanted to ask you what the most treasured sort of moment or moments are of your career. I mean, those HTC high-road days with Cavendish, I think the team might have won, I don't know, 80 to 85 races in a single season. With the 2009 Tour de France comes to mind because the way it finished just doesn't happen. The final stage along the Champs-Élysées, Cav wins. You lead him out and still comes second. It is a great photo and a great moment. What, what do you hold most dear, Mark? Yeah, look, as a as a team player, uh, that that victory there that you're talking about on the Champs Elysees in Paris, the final stage after a successful Tour de France was amazing. Um, you know, and to share that, you know, with my family, with the team, uh, like it's just yeah, everything came together that year and worked well. So, as a, as a team front, that was that was a victory. But you know, on a personal note. Um, I'm talking about like my own success. I, I want to race the Tour of Qatar, which is, um, you know, it's not uh, it's not the hardest race. It's in the desert. Um, it's some of the most amazing racing that you just don't get to really see because it's not covered too much. Mm. Um, and winning that race overall in a stage in the race was, you know, personally, you know, my biggest win and, and something that I'm really proud of. That came in 2011, of course. I wanted to ask you about the Tour de France of 2010 because that was a volatile affair. Stage 11, make a great chapter in a book this. You got yourself disqualified for headbutting Julian Dean. You steered Tyler Ferrar into the barriers as well. It was pretty much unprecedented at the time, though, for you to be kicked off the Tour. And the Tour's technical director at the time said something like, you know, this is a bike race, not a gladiator's arena. Sean Kelly and plenty of others backed you. How did you think that played out? How do you remember that occasion? Yeah, look, it, it will make a great chapter in a book when I finally find somebody to help me write it <laughs> because there's so much around that, that stage and that moment. Um, and it, it is, it, it's kind of defined my career because you know, a lot of people say that, it, you know, I'm a calm, relaxed kind of guy. Um, but yet, you know, over the last 10 or 15 years, if you look at that image, <laughs> everyone has a very different thought on me. Um, but in that exact moment, look, in cycling... Uh, and especially in sprinting, you can't take your hands off the handlebars. Uh, you can't, you know, the only way to move somebody uh, is to move them with your head or your shoulder uh, because you've got hold of the handlebars, you're, you know, you're, you know, trying to put out the maximum power you can. So you've got to use something, either your shoulder or your head. And at that moment, Julian Dean, the, the Kiwi rider, he was riding for Garmin and their sole objective was to try and get over the top of me and, you know, I suppose you can call it blocking uh, and try and, you know, overpower us. So he kind of, he got the better of me that day for the first time in the tour and um, I wasn't going to let it slide. So I thought the only way I can move him is with, you know, a headbutt. The first one didn't move him. Um, 
second one moved him, and then I was that angry. I was like, I'm just going to give you a third headbutt just because, <laughs> you know, I'm so I'm so angry here. <laughs> and then it wasn't until about 20 seconds after the finish line, um, you know, when I realised, oh no, this is going to go pretty pear-shaped here and it, um, it did go downhill real quick there. How was Julian in the How aftermath? He's a, he's a pretty easy-going fellow these days, but he was a competitor like everyone else back in the day. How did he react? Oh, look, when you strap on a helmet and you pin a number on it, everything changes. It doesn't matter if you're friends or not. Um, he took it fine. Uh, you know, there was for, for him and myself, there was no danger uh, there. Um, and ultimately, I, I was kicked out of the tour because of the image. Um, you know, for kids at home, um, you know, if my son was watching that finish right now and I showed him and he, he's like, that guy just headbutted him three times. And I'm like, yeah, it's probably not the best image. And <laughs> I, I don't, you know, if you look at the regulations, I probably didn't deserve to get thrown off the race. But ultimately, the image net needed to be uh, upkept and... As I said, there's a chapter in it because the day before, um, another rider, uh, you know, uh, Barreto, he took out his front wheel and he hit another rider, Rui Costa, over the head with his front wheel in the finish line. Yeah. So, you know, the commissaires and ASO, they stopped us at kilometre zero the day that I got uh, thrown off the race and said, look, next person puts one foot wrong and they're out. So, you know, as a rider in the race, we didn't get told that because... um, out of the blue, they stopped us at kilometre zero, which is pretty unheard of. Um, so all the riders are standing there thinking, what's going on? Why are we stopped here? We should be racing. <laughs> Meanwhile, the commissaire and ASO over race radio to the directors in the car are saying, next, next person that makes this mistake, they're gone. Um, they drop the, drop the flag, the gun fires, we're off. Uh, and of course, into the finish, 200 to go. You know, I give Julian Dean three headbutts. I put Tyler Farrar towards the fence and next moment I'm packing my bag. So <laughs> there is a whole big story in it. There's some irony there, isn't it? Because oh, over the course of your career, your timing was impeccable, just not on this particular day. No, well, it probably would have helped if my director, sportive at the time, said, uh, <laughs> you know, guys, next person to make a you know, big mistake, look out, they're going to come down on this. So <laughs> it helped if he told me that, but... Ultimately, you know, put me in the same situation right now. It's good probably do the same thing. Yeah. Uh, look, I, I wanted to ask about this year's race as well before we let you go. We've spoken about Mark Cavendish, Mark, but the tour as a whole, I know we say the same thing probably every year. It's been uh, some untold, I guess, brutality around this year's race, principally from the weather gods, which haven't exactly smiled down on the peloton this year. And we've seen a, a number of riders withdrawing from the race, a number of crashes, what have you made of it all from the comfort of your living room in Bathurst? I'm sure your part of you thinks you're glad not to be out there this year. Yeah, look, a lot of people ask me, um, do you wish you were still there? Especially now that Cab's successful again. And um, honestly, the good moments are good. Uh, you know, popping champagne you know, around a table in a Campanile in France uh, <laughs> would be amazing. But yeah, those tough moments when you're suffering... You know, at the best of times, I was questioning, what am I doing? So it doesn't, I don't need to think about it twice to think, uh, yeah, it's not for me. I'm glad I'm out of the game and watching because uh, these guys, you you push yourself every day. Um, There's never an easy moment. And if there is an easy moment, you know, you've got to 
focus because that's when you're going to crash and break your collarbone and you know some silly crash at 25 kilometers an hour in the middle of the bunch now i know you're a retail man yeah, now retail running uh, renshaw's pedal project but you still get out for a light spin every now and then around the streets of bathurst i do a few rides a week um nowhere near what i'd like to do because um yeah with the business and then with tour de france at the moment uh, three kids at home it just it's not the priority anymore um so at the moment, especially winter in Bathurst, we run our, uh, you know, our swift shop rides, and we do that two times a week. So I try to jump on and, you know, sweat out the demons and just enjoy, you know, a bit of home trainer. But uh, I'm looking forward to summer because I really plan on, on getting some fitness back and enjoying, you know, some sunshine up here in Bathurst. Hey, Mark, it's been great to catch up today. When, when it comes, I guess, to the big races, the big days, the TV coverage is good, but it doesn't come close to betraying the speed and intensity of a mass bunch sprint on Cycling's World Tour. You were so often at the front of it as a vital launch pad for other success, but it was well acknowledged and widely praised. Well done on all you achieved. Best of luck with what's to come, and thanks a lot for joining us. No, thank you for having me on. I uh, really enjoyed that chat, and, uh, yeah, and I look forward to the rest of the Tour de France. So... If anybody out there does want to drop into the shop, there's, you know, I've got all my memorabilia, bikes from the past, so I'm more than happy to have a chat and, uh, and catch up. So Mag- Magnificent, Mark. Uh, best of luck with the shop and uh, do pop in if you're around the Bathurst area. Thanks for joining us all this morning. You've been listening to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You can jump online to find them at tobinbrothers.com.au and we'll catch you the next time we celebrate the life of another sporting icon. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91.